Hello, welcome to Shine and Sound. My name's Yutha Shite. My, my name is Finn Sound Nicholas. <laughs> yeah, Sound, as we all know, to restate is is in quotes. Yeah. Um, and yeah. It, it's like if I was if I if I was like an American comedian in the eighties, oh, this yeah. would be my like comedy my like comedy nickname. And of course, like that's like my, my comedy nickname is like my like catchphrase when I see on stage. And so like I'm called Finn Sound Nicholas because I was just saying Sound and people are like yes we what came it, to hear okay. him say that and then they'll okay. get up and leave okay so what are three jokes where the punchline <laughs> is sound okay um so i i am <laughs> <laughs> they just rolled up his sleeves everyone <laughs> he's really leaning into it i shouldn't have done this to you he's yeah, now I'm, looking quite despairing I'm, I'm, i can't, can i tell you something i can't if, think of any either. yeah no, every every like so something this podcast really pointed out to me is like I I yeah. not not very good at improv. <laughs> yeah, no. But do you know the secret about improv? Well, no one's good at improv. <laughs> I get, name one person who's good at improv. Uh, Harold. Uh, yeah. Harold. Yeah. He's not good at improv. <laughs> Done. Name another one. Uh, Maud. Not good at improv. <laughs> It's Harold and Maud. Oh, because of the film. Yeah, uh, both uh, improv forms. And they, because yeah. Harold is, they named the Maud after the Harold because of the movie Harold and Maud. Yeah, I mean, isn't it interesting how <laughs> <laughs> how Del Close, who in terms of like comedic taste mm. and new voices, introduced many things that we now take for granted mm. to the comedic landscape, essentially through running a cult in the right city at the right time. Yeah. Uh, and so on that front, I'm starting a cult. Uh, and I think it is about, <sighs> there's one subject. Um, it's quite specific, but that's what you kind of want to go for. Mm. Like the thing about the Herald and Maud is that the frameworks are very specific so people can flourish within them. Yeah. So I think, um, Earlier on yesterday's show, um, after uh, we talked about prank calling well, no, it, old it, 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 it should be it should be noted there are two types of cults. Yeah, and we need you to like specify which one. There is, of course, like type A, which is you get to fuck aliens now. <laughs> and there is type B, which is you must give all your money to a man with a ponytail. I mean. And, and, Some, and, and until very recently, could, could, could have been type B. <laughs> I just want to make clear one thing on that definition. Um, in terms of improv, a form I have a lot of respect for. Mm. I, I, I know some improvisers, and I would consider some other improvisers my friends. <laughs> and that just shows that I'll accept all comers. <laughs> but improv is both of those things. <laughs> I think there's a very specific thing within improv, which is when people do improv that doesn't quite land in very public scenarios. I think when people improvise publicly... On like so, as you remember yesterday on the show, after we talked about how we uh, defrauded that elderly woman, yes. Uh, but before we got the phone call from her grieving family uh, that uh, she had passed for what we strongly believe are unrelated <laughs> reasons, <laughs> uh, we talked about uh, how the real pinnacle of public perception in this fine nation of Aotearoa uh, is being interviewed by. Kim Hill. Mm. And now you may not know this about me, but I have in fact had an old wag 
with Kimster. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, no, I, I was I was advertising my storytelling show, uh, Everything is Surrounded by Water, uh, in mm -hmm. 2015. It didn't go well. Oh, and part man. of that is because I was like, do you know what this interview needs? I want to do an impression of Werner Herzog while discussing <laughs> cuttlefish. And the reason I'm starting a cult <laughs> is that I need that moment which I can pretty clearly point to as a crux as to when uh, my theatre career stalled, <laughs> I need to give that some kind of meaning. Right. And if I can't, I'll be left adrift. Like some kind of Christopher Columbus <laughs> just spending two hours... So what I propose we do, our first ritual, welcome to the cult. And just so you know, most of the praying involves giving money to me, but you do get to have sex with aliens. Fantastic. Uh, that is largely um, definitional because a large part of the text uh, is that what one of the things I appreciate so much about Mr. Herzog is how he can give us kind of an alien's view <laughs> on humanity, and so we're considering other humans aliens. Right. Okay, so I, want, I, I, I... No, no, sorry. I want to be very clear on this. Every <laughs> human being is an alien for the purpose of this cult, or <laughs> not everyone. <laughs> that's... The, listen to me. That's the joke. The joke... <laughs> Okay, so I, I thought you were specifically like go, going no, for like no 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 you don't know what I'm going to say. I, I, I thought you were specifically going for like your cult considers Werner Herzog to be an alien, and so everyone in the cult is is allowed to fuck Werner Herzog. <laughs> when Timothy Treadwell looks into the eyes of Werner Herzog, he sees a friend, <laughs> but I see the cold indifference of space. Uh, see, it's good. It's not as good as it was five years ago. Um, yeah, it's also it's also not 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 as good as uh, uh, it's not as good as Stuart Wellington's Werner Herzog. No, like no. Oh, I'm a bad little boy. <laughs> uh, so um, obviously, there's the main ritual, which is just uh, give me all your money. Um, I'll redistribute it to people who I think should have money, who are me, uh, and some, but distinctly not all of my friends. Uh, you know, and all of my family. No, distinctly yeah. not all of my family. Um, that sounds like I got a serial killer in the family. And we could never know, you know, that someone in the Dean and Brown lines has got, like my, my grandmother on my mum's side's name is Je Jesse McIver, <laughs> which is a serial <laughs> killer. This is absolutely ending now. <laughs> I know. So I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I look, Faye, I'm going to square with you. Nothing in the world, there's nothing I want to do less than talk about Christopher Columbus, <laughs> the discovery. But we don't have to do it for a while. We can talk about the actual good movie first. Yeah. Oh, speaking of actual good movies, obviously there's the ritual giving me money that tangent um, the, the other ritual is watching the films of Werner Herzog uh, and I think we should start just for no apparent reason with Agira the Wrath of God uh, starring Santa Claus Kinski himself <laughs> um, my favorite Santa and my favorite Claus not my favorite Kinski no. and then after that I feel like I will be too energized by seeing a film that is you know near perfect uh, uh interesting day. and I just want to watch two hours of something so vacant uh first it made me bored and then it made me really quite 
said. Uh, so let's say, uh, Christopher, I know it's a breaker format for our morning zoo <laughs> show. Um, so we'll do that after these ads. Tequila Mockingbird, the Mexican <laughs> Tequila Mockingbird musical is at cinemas now, starring Penelope Cruz, Antonio Banderas, directed by Robert Rodriguez, Tequila Mockingbird. <laughs> Try it, won't you? I've absolutely never felt more lost. <laughs> I've never felt less in control of this podcast than I co-host. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Like, I, I, uh, yeah, anyway, that's my intro. Uh, like, like, like right now, <laughs> I, 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 I feel like th- th- this is this is a show that you host, and you bring people on specifically to irritate them. I'm so sorry. I just really a lot of this genuinely trying to process my sincere sadness about Christopher Columbus the discovery. <laughs> like I'm just. <laughs> <laughs> it does seem like I'm creating word traps to, to bully you. I'm so sorry. It's just, I'm lashing out because I hate myself. <laughs> okay. Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, a podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors, or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we're watching number 91 on the Sight and Sound list, A Gear Ava Wrath of God, directed by Werner Herzog, his first film collaboration with Klaus Kinski. Uh which is a real, uh, pretty incredible, like, ex- exploration of, like, madness and greed and, uh, and all that. All... <laughs> no, it's okay. What's going on? I'm just, no, no, no. I'm just thinking about what I just did for 20 minutes. I'm sorry. I'm... It's, like, slightly hysterical regret laughter. I'm so sorry. It's okay. No, I'm going to see if we're watching number 91 on the side and sound list Werner Herzog's A Gear Ava Wrath of God to move out Klaus Kinski go- going crazy on a river and our second film this week is John Glenn's 1992 ultra flop Christopher Columbus of a Discovery which brings all of this subtlety and tact of Roger Moore era James Bond to the story of genocide and enslavement of native peoples <laughs> I mean, obviously, we like to keep our intros as wall ga- with walled gardens, but I'd like to give you, I'd like, here's a thought. I think calling Christopher Columbus the discovery an ultra flop is like an insult to ultra flops. <laughs> like, ultra flops have, you know, like those films that made like $1, you're like, wow, yeah. how bad they can be with this made. Well, like- so, so here's the thing I was going to say make a flop, and then I could feel like a stutter coming on. So I was like, I've got to go to ultra. Oh, great. So once again, I'm just yep. bullying, a yeah. <laughs> bullying a disabled person. I definitely was not about to say this. <laughs> Please, if anything, <laughs> you know what I was about to say. Sort of. <laughs> I was going to say, if anything, you're too able. Yeah, yeah, no. Which, oh, no, <laughs> not even fridge. Okay, so, again, have you, was this your first time watching Gear of the Wrath of God? Uh, yes. 
Um, so I, I, I just bought like a box set of the first like 20 years of, of Herzog's career. Oh, great. And I, I, I watched through uh, all, all of his shorts that he made before. So this is the, the first feature in, in, the, in the box set. Uh, yeah, I hadn't, hadn't seen this one before. I think this is the third feature of his that I've seen. Uh-huh. This may be my third or fourth time. Oh, okay. Like always big gaps between it. Uh, uh, it's the tale of um, some plucky down on their luck conquistadors and their uh, chuckling <laughs> troop of slaves uh, as they search for El Dorado. Uh, they're in Peru, so you know what that means. This is in the Paddington Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Um, uh, which connects to the Hugh Grant cinematic universe, which connects to the um, uh, Son of Rambo cinematic universe, but that's for a future podcast. Of course. Um, uh, I'm working on a diagram, though. So, yeah, these they're out there looking for El Dorado, which we are told first up, uh, it starts like Star Trek, like Star Wars, with some scrolling text. Um, but instead of revealing to us that J.J. Uh, Abrams has no new ideas, uh, this opening text is explicit that El Dorado does not exist. Yep. We know from the, the very opening moment that their, their quest is doomed. Uh, and Claus, uh, Santa Claus Kinski... Um, plays a jolly little, he's not a nobleman. All the expedition has to be run by noblemen, mm. uh, all these things. Uh, uh, but he kind of runs it from behind the scenes. He's a bit of a star scream. I, I would take issue with your, your reading of star scream. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think he's very much not controlling things. Star scream wants to be a sort of like a Gero figure, but he does not have the like motivation or the charisma or the sort of like ruthlessness that it takes to, to actually like be a leader. Yeah, absolutely right. I've been confusing my cultural understanding of what a star scream is mm, with, the, no, exactly. with the reality of the man. Do Transformers have gender? In one of the Transformers movies, there was a Transformer with testicles. Yeah. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure it's a real thing that Michael Bay put in a movie for children. Oh, there must be. Somewhere in Transformers, there's a depressingly sexy lady Transformer, right? Mm. Called something like Eroticon. <laughs> And there's, there's like absolutely a joke where like when she like transforms from a car into a robot, her headlights like turn to her boobs. I mean, it's going to yeah. be like a joke where like her headlights turn on. Yeah. Like, oh no. And she talks about grabbing Optimus Prime's gear stick. <laughs> Yeah, no, because... Okay, so Michael, yeah, no, So here's the thing, it's like, most of the audience might not have seen this, but you and I are currently talking about the episodes of, of Transformers, uh, the animated series that were written by the writers of the Benny Hill Show. <laughs> <laughs> or like, are I you, really want or like, to are, see... are you being served or uh, one of those fucking pieces of garbage? I really want to see sped-up Transformers <laughs> fights with Yakety Sax playing over it. But... I mean, it would be just as comprehensible as as they are currently. <laughs> but so, Agira, so we start with clouds above Peru. It's like beautiful and serene, but terrifying. Yeah. And he's got like this big old trailer people walking walk through the mountains. There's, yeah, there's a, a bunch of Spanish conquistadors and all of the indigenous Peruvians that they have enslaved. Who might also have been enslaved by Werner Herzog to make the movie. Yeah. Sort, sort of hard to tell. I... Yeah. Mm. I I don't think it would have been good if he had done it. 
Yeah, so it's just there's this very long shot of people like walking down a hill and up yeah. and up another hill to, towards the camera, and there's like a very minimal score in the movie. Yeah. But like when it when it does show up, it's real good. It's by a crowd rock band called Popol Vuh, just like a, a weird uh, German experimental rock band. Yeah. And apparently they ended up scoring like a a, a bunch of a bunch of Herzog's other films. Yeah. It's this big expedition gets together and they're like. Some of us are going to hang around here. We've looked pretty far, but we have not found a road to El Dorado. And that's because that film is 20 to 30 years from coming out. Yeah. Dreambook Studios hadn't even been founded yet. Yeah. Um, but it is very prescient of um, Werner Herzog to predict the existence of Kevin Klein. <laughs> um, oh, Kevin Klein. <laughs> Already existed. Oh, he was only like a decade away from, from, from being Dave at this point. Oh, yeah. He was fishing called Wanda. This we oh, Can you believe this is not the first time we've brought up Kevin <laughs> Klein? I feel like, is he? No. He's, yeah. I'm, I'm doing that thing now yes, you where are. you're like, <laughs> it's a bad, I'm turning thing. Okay. Um, and so, uh, a small kind of fraction uh, of the group of conquistadors is going to keep going down the river. Yeah, because like, as they've been walking through through the, through the jungle, too many of, of the slaves are just like uh, falling down dead, and that's an issue because now they don't have as many uh, people to carry all their shit for them. Oh, a great problem to have. <laughs> and so this group goes off, which is kind of like run from the shadows by Aguirre. Um, he at one point installs like a puppet. Um, yeah, there's one like true nobleman who's like a member of the royal family. Uh, he, he's along with them. There's a member of lower nobility who is installed as the like leader of, of the party. Yeah. And then, uh, uh, and then Don Aguirre is, um, uh, he's the sort of like second in command. Yeah. And as, um, as this guy who's installed, he's a real John Candy schlub type. I, yeah, like, I had quite, the, 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 yeah, the, the, this royal guy, like basically every time the movie cuts to him, he's just stuck. <laughs> mangoes into his mouth <laughs> which i can i can appreciate that as an idea the one thing i love more than a film is leaving a film to eat a mango um to join the tradition um and there's nothing <laughs> but there's just this real sense of this guy playing this real human emotion of just like well, I've been shoved into this shit uh-huh. and how that then over time kind of distorts him mm. uh, and and how what starts as a clear kind of manufactured pretense of him being in control he begins to to believe it to demand salt that they do not have and um uh, that they kill a horse which is rude of them yeah i'm anti-killing horses yeah uh, but, but like but like what what if right okay what if like you 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 you, you like own a horse right yeah. and you 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 make the horse do uh, uh, do like fast running so that you can uh, make money and it's like doing some fast running and then uh, it, it breaks his leg and it's no longer useful to you like then would it be okay to kill it um i because like it, it's it's out, it can't do fast runs anymore i feel like that would only be okay if I had created a whole kind of somewhat monstrous structure of uh, gambling and depravity. Good news, you have. <laughs> oh, great. It's all news. your fault. 
Oh, okay. I feel bad about that. Yep. I really <laughs> thought you, you might not know something. It was you've invented gambling on horse races. Yep, it was me. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this is a real tenet scenario where in, in the future he's going to go back in time and invent horse racing. Oh man, I just, uh, Finn, since our previous recording, Finn has seen Tenant and he joins me on the chorus of people who are like, nah, actually, it's good. It's good. It's, it's su- super fun. I just like, also, people, people like complain, like, oh, there's no like, Oh, there's, there's no like jokes or like any of that. So it's, it's like grim and humorous. Like, did you guys not see the part where Robert Pattinson and and uh, John David Washington like uh, bungee catapult themselves up the side of a building? That's fucking funny. That rules. But, and <sighs> it's so difficult when there are people out there who are wrong. Mm. But I guess that's the curse of being the only people who are right. Yeah. Um, oh, I just don't, I'm not even enjoying that kind of sarcasm. Christopher Columbus really drained joy from me. <laughs> I really thought you were going to say, uh, if I had a horse that I made run really fast, would it be okay to make it run so fast it's atoms disconnected? <laughs> and it just, like, dissolved into sand where I'm like, yeah, you okay. Just, you put your horse on a large hadron collider. We're going to get some use out of you. You know, just like why not make gluons out of you? There we yeah. go. Ah. Uh, if I knew uh, anything about particle physics, I could have made that joke uh, thirty seconds earlier. Well, it's it's fine. No one knows anything about particle physics. I presume that a lot of the large large hadron collider is like a secret train set or something like that, or just a real quick it's, it's, way it's, of cooking pizza. T- guys, it turns out it's just just a big water slide. <laughs> <laughs> the Large Hadron Collider. I feel like it's like you know the thing about like dihydrogen monoxide. Yeah, yeah. And it's all oh, it's water. It's one of those things where like a large hadron is a water molecule <laughs> and collider, you know, I was in front of us the whole time. We were just too dumb to ask. Yes, yeah, so like, like, yeah, so like, what, what, like the, the, the reason the Large Hadron Collider was built is like a, a bunch of scientists, you know, they, 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 they got fucking sick and tired of having to like all go like Hastings and go to Splash Planet every year. So like all of the world's like particle physicists, they got together and they were like, we need to trick people into funding our own water park for us. Yeah. Specifically for particle physicists, and uh, uh, and so and so yeah, so they, they they used the like obvious ruse name of Large Hadron Collider <laughs> to get billions of dollars in in funding, and then they made uh, the the world's largest and most exclusive water slide. Uh, yeah, I mean, of all the billion dollar projects that have started with a conversation. Uh, about how the best bit of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure is the surprisingly <laughs> long sequence of Napoleon going down a water slide. Um, I think Ugh. that's the best what a, what one. A good scene. I mean, it's great. That scene also gave us SpaceX, surprisingly. <laughs> it's just Elon looked at that and thought, you know what I should use? my laundered apartheid <laughs> money uh, for. What if instead of going down slides, <laughs> we went up rockets into space? Uh, and and uh, 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 Grimes turned to him and said, no, honey, you're already doing a project where you're boring tunnels underground like they did in the past and failed. 
couldn't you say that's inspired by Bill and Ted's excellent adventure? And he turns to her and says, I don't tell you how to write music. Don't tell me how to end late stage <laughs> capitalism, hollowing out the middle class and ensuring the deaths of millions. And, and she said, okay. And then the baby said, beep boop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank, I presume, I think at this point, Elon Musk and Graham's child, no matter what our thoughts about either of those two dumb, bad libertarians. Also known as libertarians. <laughs> so I'm just stuck in, I'm just, I genuinely, like, obviously, like, watching films with you is a good time. A Gear of Wrath of God uh, is an all-timer. Yeah. Um, uh, just its sense of how, like, there is, the, the guy at the beginning who splits them up is, is like, go with the gear, and everyone's like, mm, maybe not. And he's like, no, no, no. Yeah. And then, of course, Agira, who is played by Santa Claus Kinski. And if you don't, Santa Claus Kinski is the, 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 the single most sinister looking man who's ever lived. The only actor who could play Klaus Kinski, who's not Klaus Kinski, is Anthony Circus in CG. Like, there is... Um, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, like, it's sort of weird, like, how much Klaus Kinski uh, looks like uh, looks like Emperor Snoke. <laughs> there, is, there is an unreality to Klaus Kinski on screen that is more akin to, like, a puppet. Mm or a stop motion, there's this shaking, repressed energy in yeah. that is relentlessly terrifying. And, like, the more you learn about Klaus Kinski, who was, in real life, not a good man No, a, 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 a deeply bad and broken person. Um, And, like, he's a man where the funny, positive stories about him you can tell are, like, the time he locked himself in a bathroom and went into a 30-hour-long rage, <laughs> by the end of which you could strain everything in the bathroom through, like, a pasta strain. <laughs> <laughs> like, he broke things that much. Or, like, the fact that he would do tours in which he just read the Bible and then talked about how he was Jesus and then did monologues about how he just in a single spotlight for hours yelling at crowds. Um, there's video of it. There's footage of those and like his fuck. He's, but he's so compelling to watch, yeah. which is true of almost all of history's greatest monsters. Um, but that kind of, you know, I'm not sure if Colin Farrell is a good actor um, because Colin Farrell, he's given good performances, obviously, yeah. but I can never quite tell whether that's just because like Martin McDonough and Yorgos Lanthimos and of course the director of Daredevil, <laughs> um, Mark Stewart Johnson, I don't know. I have no know, idea. No. I saw that film oh, on the oh, day. Oh, I'm sure so like Ben Affleck just directed it under a pseudonym. Uh, yeah. It's not, it is bad. It is bad. It is bad. Yeah. I just saw that on the day it came out when I was like 15. <laughs> so I liked it because movies were good then. Yeah. Um, no one had made a bad film up until that point. Then came Electra. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's it that um, people, it's like, there's kind of like a sameness to Colin Farrell, which is like, he's a performer, not an actor, and that's fine. 
Which is not to say he doesn't have range, but he's playing in the same pool rather than digging a new hole each time. This is not even the crux of my point. And Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman, Uh, uh, the movie in which Colin Farrell gives the one good performance. Nah, I I stand by Hugh Grant's performance in that film is good when you remember that it is in-universe as a performance being given by his Paddington 2 character. (laughs) Like... (laughs) because <laughs> it's part of the the Hugh Grant extended cinematic universe uh, in which every role played by Hugh Grant is in fact within Paddington unassailable fact I'm yeah. sorry <laughs> I've never been more sure yeah okay so, right okay so it's like it's like uh, the gentleman uh, that time he was on uh, Leno uh, to talk yep. about uh, Hogan Prostitute the, the Leno Letterman that he was on I, I don't like honestly I don't know. <laughs> I was going to be I like, think, I don't I think care. it was Leno. Yeah. Um, and, and he took that photo. The winner was like, Ooh. so that photo. Yeah, so Jay Leno uh, is in the 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 Hugh Grant Cinematic Universe, which means yep. that we have to remember that. They're like all, all, all of the movies from like the 80s and 90s where they'd get Jay Leno for, for like a scene to do a joke about the movie. And isn't he like... A car in cars. Uh, yes. Yeah. So, and considering that as like a Jesus, because as he loves cars so much. Oh, that's right. Because uh, he's a car collector. Oh, right. Like like Jeremy Seinfeld or uh, John Lasseter, a sex offender and uh, former mm. head of Pixar. Mm. Um, and, yeah, and, on uh, uh, on uh, uh, on uh, Blank Jacket. Every every time they, 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 every time they mention John Lasseter. Yeah, uh, every time they mention John Lasseter, they, they refer to him as Lotso Huggin' Lasseter. Like the bear from Toy Story 3. That mm. feels like it's making light No, it's, of... it's not. I think... It's, it's making fun of John Lasseter for being gross. Look, we need to grow this podcast. We don't need to grow this podcast. It's, I, I just like doing it. I, don't, I, don't, I, I like having something in my life where I'm not like, I need to follow the success of... <laughs> I need this to be successful. Um... But a way to do that is to publicly start a proper shit fight with Blank Check. And so Griffin Newman, okay, but like if, if you're listening, okay, but like it, to, okay, I was just gonna say this now. Like if, if we if we started a fight with Blank Check, I'd be on their side. <laughs> so it becomes a real gear situation where I am a gear <laughs> on the raft that is this podcast being surrounded by the monkeys, which are the films, yeah. while you are, oh, I don't know, all the dead people. Yep. And you, you, you're saying like, I am the ref of podcast. <laughs> yeah. Which is what it's, which is what Griffin would say on episode blank check. If they were doing an episode about a gear, eh? I mean, look, the thing about Griffin fucking Newman is that when you look at his work, uh, <laughs> he's a charming and charismatic performer who has elevated what is, in some of, in my opinion, some lacking material. So do I have respect for him? Yeah. And the other guy on that podcast, whose name is... David Sims. David Sims is my favorite Sims expansion pack. 
which means that David, when you're listening, my favorite thing you do is not go to the bathroom when I tell you to, so you piss yourself and cry. My favorite thing is, make, is making Klaus Kinski's face all big. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that, that is. <laughs> so, this yeah. is this is the most disjointed episode we've ever done. <laughs> no, I don't. This is, I, this is a nightmare. <laughs> my, my brain. Well, okay. So here's the thing about trying to break down the plot of Agira. It we, doesn't have one. Yeah, we've discussed the plot. So then this small kind of breakaway group goes off to go to go down and uh, continue down the river and look for El Dorado. Yeah. Uh, and, and as they go down the river, more more and more of them die. They're slowly they're slowly picked off by by but um, they're slowly picked off by by uh, uh, by the indigenous people, uh, often with uh, uh, often with arrows. Yeah. Uh, At one or point, maybe sometimes cannon, poison darts. Oh no, the ca- the cannon they do it on themselves. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, um, and of course, the interesting thing uh, in that, like, many of the many interesting things, uh, is that of course, uh, uh, Agira gives the first uh, uh, starts killing people or giving the order to kill people mm. and make it look like the what the film turns Indians uh, are doing. I've just remembered. See, here's the thing about Klaus Kinski, like the whole fucking Colin Farrell thing, is that. I don't, maybe Klaus Kinski isn't good because Kinski is never better than when he is in the Herzog film. Right, yeah. Um, and, and it just feels like Herzog is someone who has looked at, like the Wikipedia page for this film includes like, while writing the film, Herzog remembered uh, Klaus Kinski, who had lived with his family for a period of time and his uh, violent and disturbing behavior. <laughs> Uh, made him, and it is like, oh no, this is. It's not that Klaus Kinski is good. It, it, it's it's that Werner Herzog is a very good director who who know who, who knows how to control a madman. Yeah, I mean, it takes one well, to know one. Not, I feel not, not like not control necessarily, but like he knows how to do. He knows yeah. how to like to like corral a madman, which is kind of like what like. Uh, after his films of Kinski, like the like rest of Herzog's career yeah. is basically him doing that in, in in different in different ways. Yeah, with it's just finding like the most insane people he can and Brad Dorif, Christian Bale, um, Nicholas Cage, Michael Shannon. Who actually seems like a pretty grounded guy, but is amazing at playing crazy people. I would there be no more heartbreaking information about Michael Shannon than he is actually what he see what he looks like. Which I, uh, my understanding is that's not true. Yeah. But like, uh, have, have you read the interview that Michael Shannon did? I think it was with like uh, with like Playboy. We've asked him about playing Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that. If like ever since people started talking about like, oh, you know, the movies about this time are going to be really amazing. Like, but like he has my exact take on on Trump. Like, no, yeah. that's not an interesting character. Yeah. He's, like he's he's bo- he's boring and empty. Like which is why like yeah. no one's ever done a like a funny basically no one's ever done a funny Trump impression because um, there's not there's nothing fun there's nothing funny to him. Uh, yeah, I stand by that. The only like so far in my experience, the only good cultural commentary mm. on on the Trump presidency that that is narrative. Like obviously, there's a lot of good. You, no, no, I'm not. I'm not yeah. standing in front of Trevor Noah and being like, four out of your five years on this show have been terrible." <laughs> no, um, uh, uh, is uh, the the rebooted Twilight Zone has a Trump episode, right? Uh, and its metaphor is literally, "What if a child was elected president?" Um, uh, uh, and it's like, and you're like, "Oh no, yeah, this is the way 
we can talk about it. Yeah. Um, uh, and it goes to other places. It's the kid from Room, Brie Larson. Um, you know, it's, uh, you know, kid from Room. Jacob Tremblay. Yeah. From, uh, from uh, the kid dying movie. What, what are it's called? <laughs> uh, Book of Henry. Book of Henry, yeah. Um, he plays Book. Yeah. No, I, I of course played Henry. It was, it was my it was my breakout screen role. Yeah, no, oh man, is there no be- like I absolutely understand that Ryan Johnson and the guy who played Henry, who is also in Stranger Things. No, he's not in Stranger no, Things. He's, he's in Knives it. Out. He's, oh, in, yeah, yes, he's, he's in it as well. But the guy who played Henry, so Colin Trevor, the film so bad, Colin Trevorrow yeah. lost a, a Star Wars film. The idea that Ryan Johnson being cast him as like an all right shithead in an all right shithead who has it's just a red herring has absolutely fucking nothing to do. But also that guy, he seems real cool. And him and I like Ryan Johnson didn't do that. But the idea that he did, you know, yeah, because um, yeah, they worked together before. He's he's on the last Jedi. He's a he's a spaceship man, hmm? um, I believe. I mean, there are some spaceship men in in Star's War. Um, but yes, yeah, so Agira. <laughs> once they're kind of on this path, and you're like, "Fuck, this is terrible. Everything's going to go badly." Like the the thrust of the film is like. Oh man, this is bad. There must be some hope. No, there's no hope. There's no hope. It just falls apart. And it's kind of about like learning the film uh, or, or watching the film is about like sinking into a hole. Yeah. And, and it was like I said to you, it's really interesting watching it uh, when you know what happens. Mm. Because when you know what happens, like in detail, um, it should be boring because the answer to every question is, like it gets worse. Like there's no point where you're like, oh, I wonder how they set this up. Yeah. Um, but Herzog, as as you've said, and you know, I in part agree, uh has some strengths as a director. <laughs> um uh I mean it's only in his uh vision, uh collaborativeness and craft. Mm. Um those three things, which is slight, you know, there are lots of directors that don't have any of those things and have gone on to direct multiple Jurassic worlds. <laughs> um, oh, to, to be fair, I think he only directed one Jurassic world. He's directing three oh, as well, yes, which yes. is, uh, which, which they're being uh, the, the way. <laughs> which is the one I might watch because it's been back Sam Neill and Laura Dern. Um, a thing they're doing. Oh, do, do, do you think he's going to kill off Laura Dern to like, as like, oh. to, to, to like get back a Rian Johnson for putting her in, in The Last Jedi? I just like, and this is not an attack on what you just mm. said, but you know how there are things where you're like, I care, I care so little that that I'm giving any time to this in my mind feels like a defeat. <laughs> and that is my answer to that. No, the thing about the, with, do you want to know the real sign that Jurassic World 3 is going to be bad? Apart from the fact that Jurassic, Jurassic World 2 was bad and Jurassic World was, I mean, fine, is that they're like, oh, see, here's the thing. Like, Jurassic World 3, we're really seeing it as Jurassic Park 6. I'm like, that is the least appetizing way to pitch. You know, I don't really see No Time to Die as either a James Bond film or the fifth Daniel Craig Bond film. I see it 
as the t- Bond 20. Uh, I, think, I think it's 29. Yeah. Agira, yeah, watching Agira again, knowing what happens, but because of like the shape and form and paracraft of it is that it remains oh, hauntingly compelling. Mm. Like, a, a, what a strong film. <laughs> I absolutely thought I had something. Yeah. yeah no. uh, but, so what what do you think of Agira, <laughs> Wrath of the Titans? <laughs> I mean, like, this is the first movie that I've seen, like, I've seen with Klaus Kinski in, like, a lead role. Yeah. I think the only other movies I've seen with him in, like, uh, like Spaghetti Western movies where he's sort of like a sort of like background villain sort of guy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it is, it's sort of like, like, obviously, like, if if you're like a person who's into film, you know about Klaus Kinski yeah. and you know about the sort of person he was and you know about like the sort of performances he gave. Yeah. Like it's still, and like there, there are like images of him from this movie, but like very iconic, but like it's, it's still like really incredible to like, to like get to like see him be a Geary for like the first time. Well, and you, and it's, it's like seeing Citizen Kane for the first time, mm. at least, at least in my experience, uh, where you're like, oh, I absolutely get it. Yes. You're yes. like, you're like, oh, no, I understand why people were compelled by this distorted madman. Mm. He gives one of those balls with, like, just him, like, looking at someone. Yeah. Him, like, kind of like, craning his neck a bit just gives off, like, such an intense... You feel like he's, like, dominating someone. Even though he's, like, he's, like, shorter than a lot of the other people. He just, like, by just, like, looking at them slightly askance, like, you feel like he has just murdered them. There's a point in this where there's a pan flute player, one of mm. their... Um, Slaves, I just they are. I just slavery <laughs> sucks so much. <laughs> Sorry, this is the mental state I'm in. Whenever I say that word, I'm just like, oh, hundreds of not thousands of years. Anyway, uh, he plays a pan flute throughout in a way that is like sweet and charming. And like everyone, like every time in a film when someone blows a wind instrument. I expect the sax solo from the beginning of Runaway with me to come in. Um, well, like, uh, I, I also just watched Peter Weir's uh, Pinnacle Could Hang Rock for, for the yep. first time earlier this week. And that, that has a score which is like mostly uh, pan flute. And so I've just been listening to a lot of pan flute recently. Yeah. I've been listening, I've been on hold in the 90s a lot recently. <laughs> so I've been listening up to a lot of pan flute. Yeah, just, just nothing, nothing but Zamfir. Um, uh, <laughs> I. <laughs> um, uh, Eyeliner's new album has a lot of synth pan flute on it. Uh, check it out. You gotta appreciate any music where the major promotional photo is the musician Animorph style transforming into a 2003 Toyota Prius. <laughs> um, uh, check it out. That, sorry, sorry. In the recommendation, in the recommendation cave, I like to oh, recommend right. Eyeliner. We've stopped using the corner, haven't we? Yeah. We're just using the cave. Yeah. Cave. So you're so good at echoes. But while this, the first time the pan flute guy starts playing, Kinski shoots him a look that lasts maybe two frames and just manages to convey a depth of grimy annoyance and hate, which would other people would take like that contains the kind of an unpacking of unneeded painful racial annoyance and hatred yeah. that, like, takes downfall two and a half hours to do. Yeah, you know? no, like, for, like, for, like, most other actors, they're, they're 
but like stare at him for like a good 10 seconds and then like smack the pamphlet out of his hand. Yeah. But, but like Kinski needs none of that. Well, and so much uh, uh, of the film is kind of about, in a way, like you could do this script and it be almost a mystery because um, there are a couple of times where you where you see Agira do, do bad things. But there's also a lot of like, oh no, he's dead. And then Agira is like, Oh yeah, well we'll keep going. Um, that's how he talks. That's mm-hmm. the most interesting thing about Klaus Kinski. Um, and but because of his performance, like you absolutely understand the whole time what is going on. Which brings like at the at the time it came out. Um, again, this is Wikipedia information, so I hope it's true, but it certainly isn't. Um, uh, was that at the time it was like people remarked upon this weird elliptical editing. So much of this film uh, is about like you'll get to the point before people make a decision and then cut to the results. Mm. Uh, and watching it now, it's that's kind of how films, like that's just efficient storytelling. <laughs> um, and so it really feels uh, in a way that is not shitty or hacky to say quite ahead of its time in a lot of how it works like formally yeah like yeah it, it, it's it, it's a movie where like you, you you don't you don't feel the innovation because like 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 me especially i've just like grown up watching movies that kind of feel like this yeah um and like it yeah a gear like the word iconic is has absolutely been ruined mm. mainly by um microsoft uh, <laughs> uh and, but this is like it feels like almost every beat of this is iconic. Yeah. In a way, like almost every shot, Kinski will step into frame and stare at the camera and your brain is like, that's the photo I've seen from this. But then you're like, no, every 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 shot of him is of this weird face. This looks- like weird face in his head. Like his, his, for those of you who haven't seen his face, like the, the closest analog I can think of is like an Easter Island head. It, like, it looks it is, both over-inflated and absolutely deflated at yeah, the same time. Yeah, it is, it is like, it, it's, I don't know, it, it is. I was trying to think of like more metaphors. I don't really have any because it's, yeah. Oh, I was going to say like, it, gaunt, like gaunt Mickey Rock. It looks like it's carved out of bleeding rock. <laughs> or, um, it, yeah, no, it's uncanny yeah. is, is the thing. He... He seems like he could be a puppet. Mm. Um, and like knowing that like how Herzog worked with him on this film, because like uh, Kinski was like, oh, this guy's furious. I'm just going to be angry all the time. And Herzog was like, oh, no, what I will do is I'll get Kinski mad before we shoot any take. And so he'll burn that off. And then we'll do. Because in the in the film, the performance is kind of contained. Yeah, it, it, is, like, it is like seething menace rather than. Yeah. Rather than like 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 full full on Nicolas Cage in the bathroom screaming. Okay, this is a tangent we possibly can't afford time wise, but <laughs> Brian Blessed as a gearer. <laughs> Brian, if you're listening, you're the you're the British giant I like now after Robbie Coltrane. Yeah, I know Cracker Cracker himself. 
Yeah. Oh, I'm very surprised, honestly, that one of the two leads of the film, Nuns on the Run. Uh, <laughs> a uh, movie that's mostly about looking at a young woman naked. Yeah. And of course, Eric Idle is in that, who, knowing that the Pythons are kind of operating on a Beatles policy of dying in order of talent, I look forward to wishing Eric Idle um, an infinite undying existence. <laughs> <laughs> The rattles are great. <laughs> the rattles are great. But, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Isn't it funny that Eric Idle invented the term spam for an obsessive, like, like people just relentlessly repeating the same thing at you and then has gone on to spam the legacy of Monty Python at, at the public in a way ensuring it won't really have its place because it's so overexposed? Eric. <laughs> If you're listening, are you David Sims? Because I think I could beat you in a fight. I don't. <laughs> to be clear, David, if you're listening, I don't think I could beat you in okay, a fight. Okay, so so okay, so you've now just threatened like a couple of episodes ago, you threatened to fight James Woods. Oh, that's that's right. And so now you're threatening you have to fight both David Sims and Eric Idle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not threatening. B- b- before, before we get to the end of this list, you, 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 like you, 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 you feel just trying to take down everyone and, like, remotely related to film. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of feel like... Roger Ebert, get ready, fucker. <laughs> See, here's the thing about... Try, try fighting back now. Well, Roger, love your work. What have you done recently? I want to hear your thoughts on Endgame. Lazy. There's one thing I would call Roger Ebert. It's lazy. <laughs> Leonard Moulton. <laughs> Get ready to lose that beard one thistle at a time. I'm coming with tweezers. How, how's your podcast on the Nerdist Network going, you fucking idiot? What? Yeah. Is it still? I don't, no, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think anyone has a podcast on the Nerdist Network anymore. No, well, because the Nerdist still exists. Yeah. But it, it exists mainly as like like as like a pop culture like aggregator website now. Oh, so a website yeah. at this point. Yeah. Um, I like how every website now exists to point us to every other website. Yeah. Like, but but also not yeah. Like we've moved past the like the like time immediately where like websites did stuff. And now, now there, there is no information contained on any website, but it isn't just like telling you to go to another website. Yeah. I mean, that website will tell you to go to a different website. Uh, so uh, check out our website at yep. shiteandsound.com. It's the shitiest and the soundiest. <laughs> well, take it from me, Yutha Charles Allen Shite. <laughs> okay, so, but like the key thing about Gareth, like, I have absolutely no idea of the makeup of our audience whatsoever, but my hope is that the people who enjoy this will either want to see a Gira or have seen it. Yeah. And like the, the, like you just you just gotta like yeah, it's sound, mate. Like yeah, it's, no, it's so it's, it's so it's, sound. It's real good. Um, the, the, like uh Werner Herzog is a uh real weird dude and a masterful yeah. filmmaker and it yeah, like if everything I've seen from him so far is uh like uh is uh, totally fascinating. And like like the the fun parody of Herzog, right, is being just like I just I look at nature and all I see is madness and terror. Yeah, and you're like, 
and like that that's a funny thing or like of course the story about how Mark Kermode organized to have him uh, uh, shot yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, that, that's a reference to a conversation that happened over Mike <laughs> um, but like you know the Werner Hurt like because there's the character Werner Herzog, yep. right? It's the guy who was shot during an interview with Mark Kermode, uh, who was like, it's not a substantial bullet. But, like, the interesting thing is that, like, most of the directors or, like, creatives who are like that, who speak so frequently and so much to their mm. themes, are people who are explaining stuff because it's not in the films. But the thing is, I would not need to have heard one word from Warner Brothers Herzog. <laughs> Um, to know that he thinks that like uh, uh, the legacy of humanity is madness, yeah. and all we can do is be cruel to each other. Yeah, yeah like, like v- 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 this, this film, like on, on its own, is sort of like a, a manifesto for his like entire ideology, and and like it's not to say like his other, his other films like don't expand on that or like aren't still like like you know like interesting like. But, but yeah, like if, if like yeah, if 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 Werner Herzog stopped existing, like we'd be able to recreate him from from Aguirre. Yeah, like we could an AI could scrub Aguirre, and like what it would assume directed it. Yeah, would be like pretty close. It <laughs> would be Werner Herzog. Like maybe they would skip. They wouldn't know about like the one episode appearance on Parks and Rec. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I think like uh, uh, yeah. Like if, if you just watch this movie, you, you sort of you you miss his his sense of humor, which I mean comes through much more heavily in, in his in his later works. I just remembered about how he's in Jack Reacher. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say that he's so fucking good in Jack Reacher. I like uh, also like Jack Reacher. J- it's like Jack, Jack Reach is like fine, but but like but Werner Herzog as as the villain of of Jack Reacher yeah. is such a good performance from a guy who's not really an actor, but he just he just goes in and he like oh. he he does exactly what you'd want Werner Herzog to do, playing the villain in in a Jack Reacher movie. Uh, well, I like I th- I think he's an actor because I think he's performing all the time. Like yeah, no, uh, yeah. I I, th- I think Werner Herzog has made the s- smart, sane, and wise decision to uh, disconnect his public and private self. Yeah, like I do not think it's not like. Um, like he's not sitting down for for you know roast dinner Christmas day uh, uh, with his family and, and they're not like uh, uh, puppy <laughs> would you pass me uh, some of the chicken and he's not like this chicken was once a fowl with a sharp beak red with his blood of mankind you know like <laughs> maybe he is and I look into the eyes of this chicken. <laughs> I see it running around headless if, for 15 minutes after it's dead. As I, and really, that is what we're all doing. As I peel each potato to roast it and form it so that it will be consumed as we all are. Are any of us any more than just a headless chicken? A boat of gravy. Within it, a slurry of organic matter held together by porcelain easily broken. Are we not all gravy boats? (laughs) 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 And then you cut to, like, his 
happy family Christmas hats on. <laughs> and they're like, ha, 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 oh, Dad, tell us about Nicolas Cage. And he's like, well, he's the California Klaus Kinski. <laughs> okay, so if he's the California Klaus Kinski, who's like the Texas Klaus Kinski? Uh, Slim Pickens. Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, who's the um, <laughs> who's the Florida? <laughs> I mean, if everyone in Florida. <laughs> no, I feel like that is a. I was about to say nation. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, Alex Jones is also a bit of a. Oh uh, yeah, Texas. Well, <laughs> okay, so Alaska. Now, now, just desperately being like, who's from Alaska? <laughs> Who is from Alaska? Well, what's a funny Alaska reference? It isn't Sarah Palin because it would be hack at this point. Or looking for Alaska. Oh no, that'd be funny if I'd said that. Or baked Alaska. <laughs> or um, just the idea of like, uh, a a guy walks into a bar and says, "I'm I'm going to America soon with my wife." And they, uh, uh, she decided where we're going. And, and someone asks, to which state? And the guy replies, I'll ask her. I'll ask her. I will ask her. I, okay, so I don't think you're quite understanding the joke I'm making here. See, Alaska, if you break it, oh, and then a proper cup of coffee. From a proper copper coffee pot. One of uh, um, uh, Alaska Thunderfuck 5000 uh, uh, is is a queen on RuPaul's Drag right. Race War. Um, I, th- I think you'd like Alaska's work. Um, it, it, it's interesting because it starts at a point which is quite close to her. her no, 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 okay, no, we're stopping. We're Sharon Needles. No, 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 we have to stop this. <laughs> I just... <laughs> Finn. Because no, I, I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to stop us talking about 1992's Christopher Columbus of Discovery. And I'm not going to let you stop us. Okay. And we're back on Shite and Sound. Uh, hosted by you for Shite and Finn Sound Nicholas. Yeah, it's you. <laughs> um, it's Sunday drive time. So we're here to talk about. Oh, uh, you're just you're driving home from yeah, your family. We're, we're, we're going to take we're going to take a slow. Maybe 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 take a couple calls. Yeah. Uh, so, has uh, anyone got any retro opinions that they want us to broadcast? We'll, uh, we'll yeah, let them do that. I've just I've just got a call here. Um, this is from uh, uh, from Joe. Who's currently uh, uh, currently driving north on the uh, uh, on on uh, State Highway One. My name is Joe, and I'm currently driving north on State Highway 1. And I was just wondering, uh, what's what you guys' opinion? So I was just wondering if you guys had any uh, opinion on non-bond work of film director John Glenn, specifically his 1992 magnum opus. That's right. It's a film so good they dipped it in chocolate twice. Uh, uh, and I, I, I'd like to say, I think, it is definitely my favourite film about genocide. <laughs> definitely my favourite PG-13 film. <laughs> extensive nipple, like, just breasts of um, indigenous people in it. But the thing I like most about it at all 
Oh, and uh, Joe's just cut out there. I guess he went through a tunnel. Um, we'll, we'll, try, we'll try and get you back, Joe. Um, but uh, now we're going to go to Stephen Lyons, who is uh, <laughs> uh, also driving north on the uh, State Highway 1. Um. <laughs> Are you expecting me to do an impression? Yes, I was thinking you do a pitch-perfect Stephen Lyons impression. Um, hello, it's me, Stephen Lyons. Uh, oh, I see Stephen Lyons is doing his famous Euphor Dean impression. Well, I'm... Stephen Lyons. Stephen Lyons, uh, beloved, hilarious Auckland-based yeah. comedian. F- future guest on the show. Funny, supportive, and a lovely man. Yeah. Uh, I, I have nothing to say against him. I am just not him. <laughs> I'm Stephen Lyons with an I, named after my favourite thing in all the world, Stephen. <laughs> I was born Lyons. <laughs> And I just wanted to call and say that I, the man who called before, whose name is currently Joe, my mind, I, he, he's, uh, he's, of course, a regular called of a show. Yeah, uh, I love his voice. I think it's a sonorous voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's it's something you'd want to listen to on a podcast. But I just want to pack up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, audience at home don't know how ashamed you looked at that fine, like, <laughs> that's the joke. Um, I just wanted to, to say that I I agree with the guy before about uh, John Glenn's 1992 opus. It really buckled my swash. Christopher Columbus, uh, The Discovery. Um, and I think that there is uh, no greater travesty in the history of cinema that... Uh, um, uh, 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 and the fact that uh, while it clearly ends uh, with an invitation to go on what to become a new franchise, yeah. uh, it, it seems pretty clear that uh, in a way it, it has a lot of crew and cast from the Bond films, which at that time were taking a pause because of um, the legal issues around ownership of the character. Yeah. Um, yeah, because Tim- Timothy Dalton was just too attractive. He, like, he's definitely the hottest boss. Oh, yeah. Man, um, like... Yeah, no, he, like... He I mean, like, maybe, like, Daniel, Daniel Craig, like, at his peak, it's like, I don't know. Daniel Craig is, like, Daniel Craig is, oh, just a magnificent sexual being. <laughs> but I don't think that's because he's hot. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, okay. Like, I'm talking about very... Look, let's... It's very important that we quantify that we have a physical attraction. I, I apologise. I know you're the host of the show and I'm just a caller. Um, uh, uh, and that ends with like a big call to uh, future adventures. It, it certainly does. And I cannot help... Is there, Finn, and, and you, Finn, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Hello. Could you explain to me, is there a greater tragedy in cinema than the fact that there, there were no more? When I'm trying to think of like other, other films with like end on so like unfulfilled promise as, as this one does, uh, the, the, the only thing that can match it would be the desperate uh, sequel pleading epilogue of Hellboy 2019, and the fact that you know we're, we're not gonna, we're not getting any more uh, uh, terrible Hellboy movies uh, starring David Harbour. I think it's just a real disappointment. And, uh, uh, yeah, it's just one thing that really breaks my heart about Hellboy 2019. It's that there's not more of it. Yeah. Because if there's one thing I like 
It's Hellboy 2019. No, it, it, mm. it is. And like, obviously, I'm, I'm a stranger, still just mm. on the phone. Um, I, nothing makes me sad. No, nothing gets me off in film. There are two things that get me off in film. One, which is films that seem to be full of incident, but are... De- definitely boring. Like, crushingly so. Yeah. Existentially painful to watch, like, to pick a name at random, Christopher Columbus, The Discovery. Um, but I also love films that look like PlayStation 2 games, uh, and that means I only love two films, which is, of course, The Mummy Returns and um, the 2019 Hellboy. Um, the best of the three Hellboys. No one's arguing. Oh, of course. Well, after, when you've got a hack... No, I was, I was also going to do. I was also going to say Big Kyoto was a hack. Yeah. I, was going to, I was going to do an exact same joke, uh-huh. which like that kind of feels like we're, we're being like too mean to um to to to, to Neil Marshall, who's made like some legitimately really good movies. Uh, we are like we will get an oral history one. Day. Oh, absolutely. So like, we know that because um, David Harbour is used to being directed um uh, for TV at that yeah. point, so um we know that him and Marshall kept getting into long arguments about being him being given too much direction, right? Like that, um, which really makes me look forward to his performance in the Black Widow film. Yeah, because like, uh, like uh, we, we, we still talked about like a similar thing a little bit on, on the uh, uh, on the Godzilla King of the Monsters well, no, episode. No, you, you and Yuta did. Oh, of course. Sorry. I'm Stephen Lyons. You, you, you are I'm, Stephen Lyons, but not yeah. that Stephen Lyons. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, so on 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 the, the episode of this afternoon drive time um, radio show, um, me, me 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 and you have talked about um, uh, about the movie Godzilla: the King of the Monsters and how in in that movie um, uh, in that movie Millie Bobby Brown is doing listen Robert Brown yes, thank you uh, is is doing like uh, is not doing like uh, like blockbuster movie acting she's kind of doing like like TV acting and I think like. Yeah, like you, you definitely get the same feeling from 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 David Harper in the Hellboy movie, whereas like, the like he is not at the level that he needs to be to like to carry a movie. Um, yeah, uh, uh, to, uh, far be it from me a quality or show to to push the conversation in a different direction, but it is like looking at both um, Melissa and Robert Browning mm. and uh, David uh, harboring a grudge. <laughs> Um, well, I, 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 I know, I know, I am. And both of those films, films we would both call, I would, I would call it shy. Yes. Um, uh, is that they're both still like they still have a presence. Like you still want, to, like no, they're bad. Yeah, I mean, but it's like. Well, I mean, like I'm, I'm, I'm like I'm still thinking about Hellboy 2019, like a year yeah. later. Uh, they still have presence. You still want to watch them, and that, is, and that's something like there are many, many. Very attractive actors. Um, for instance, let's say Unity. Um, I know you're on the call. Thanks for saying that. Um, no, it's great. I, I appreciate that you like my screen work uh, <laughs> as an extra in uh, early aughts children's show, The Tribe. <laughs> um, that's all right. It was, a, it was in the background. You had to look out for me. Uh, I was there. Right. My, my, my older sister was, was an extra in a few episodes of Xena. Ah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's much better. That's yeah. that's much better. Um, anyway, she got to work with the star of Pleasure Dome. Oh wow, Lucy! 
do you think does riddle me this, Batman? Um, sorry. Well, my name's actually Finn Sound Nicholas, uh, not Batman. <laughs> sorry, we've lost a call there. Oh. Uh, okay. oh, no, there's a new caller. It's, oh, it's the Riddler. <laughs> <laughs> It's me, the oh, hi, hi. Um, hello, Edward Nigma. N- 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 nice, to, nice to finally meet you. Yep. Uh, uh, um, did you enjoy it when in my war of jokes and riddles with the Joker that he shot me? And I was made so angsty by He shot me in the stomach. And so I used a shard of glass to carve it into the point on a question mark. Oh. That was, um, but riddle me this. <laughs> riddle me this thin uh, sound, Nicholas. Um. Can you think of another performance in a film you have watched today where it's an empirically attractive lead actor who has absolutely zero, like nil, charisma or screen presence? Uh, So uh, in in some ways I can think of a performance. Uh, but in other ways, I can't really answer the question because I cannot remember this guy's name. Um, yeah. His last name is Coraface, but I don't know what his first name is. Coraface. It's either Michael or like uh, 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 Joseph or. Ian Black. Yeah. Like um, Jeremiah. I want to be clear about something. I don't think he's a bad man. I, I, I mean, he's almost—he's almost certainly a better person than Klaus Kinski. Oh, oh, definitely. Like that's not hard. <laughs> so, um, but he is profound. Like I cannot express to you. Yeah, so like, yeah. well, so we, we should start by saying like anything about this movie because I think most people yeah. will not have heard of it. We we certainly hadn't until uh, yeah. until we we decided to watch and, it for, and for this episode. And we are the two biggest fans of John Glenn's last Bond film, <laughs> License to Kill, um, the the only Bond film where you can see Benicio del Toro fed into a mincing machine. Yeah, and oh. the bad guy from Star Trek Insurrection exploded in a scuba tank. <laughs> It's also, it's also the only one you can see Robert Darby impaled on a uh, impaled on a forklift. In um, there's a bit in License to Kill where Robert Darby is driving a petrol tanker full of um, mm. liquid cocaine, um, and, and Timothy Dalton, uh, that's right, wrestle on himself, yeah. uh, is driving up, uh, and he shoots at it, and the bullets fire and it starts being the Bond theme. The bullets hit in time with the theme. Uh, And from the age of maybe 11 to early 13, that was the coolest thing. Yeah. Um, And so, like, we we were primed to know about the next film John Glenn made after he graduated. The 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 Eon Productions, who make the Bond films, operate as like a campus. He started as an editor. Yeah, so he he'd been working on the Bond films since since the sixties. Yeah, he'd done uh, he'd been editor. He'd done like uh, uh, he'd done like second unit stuff. And, and as his Wikipedia page specifically notes. Mm. He is the person responsible for the pigeon that does a double take in Moonraker. Yeah, like he, it, it says like a, a motif throughout his films is a, a motif throughout his films is like is is animals doing double takes or so or so something like that. And, and uh, I really hope he's the person in the Spy Who Loved Me. There's a bit um, where James Bond uh, does a jump in his car 
but it twists so it does like a spin in the air. Right. And it's an incredible stunt that is absolutely ruined because the only sound effect is a, like a doop slide whistle. <laughs> I I hope that was John Glenn. Um, yeah. So so after working as editor and a second unit guy on yeah. on uh, on uh, Bond films for like fifteen years, he, he directed the, the the final three Roger Moore Bond films and then then both the Timothy Dalton Bond films. And then he's like, I've built up so much goodwill. You know, I've 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 done such. I've taken the Bond series to new heights. Um, what what can I do next? I you know I've got I've got forty five million dollars to make whatever I want, and and he decided that he would make a giant swashbuckling epic about uh, 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 about Christopher Columbus's uh, uh, first contact with the Americas, as you would expect from the fact uh, that we as people who have recently finished watching it are struggling to do to describe it. This film now feels like the sun in that it's in my mind, but if I look at it, <laughs> I will go blind. <laughs> this, yeah, it didn't do well. No. It didn't super fail. Uh, made about $8 million off of a $45 million budget, which is uh, bad. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think, is this the last? No, um, John, John Glenn directed uh, one or two, one or maybe two movies after this, mm. and then hasn't directed anything since then. But um, this movie has a pretty big cast. Yeah, it's got uh, what's his face as as Christopher Columbus. Yeah, him, uh, who, the... who was like never really in anything else. Oh no, he he, he showed me like bit parts and things, but he was never yeah. a leading man again because he's because yeah. Cause I no, say he... this from one not a leading man to another. Yeah. He's not a leading man. Absolutely not. Um, he's not a leading person. Like, this is a movie with Tom Selleck in it. Yeah, right? <laughs> this is a movie with Marlon Brando yeah. in it. Um, dressed as Count Cagliostro himself. <laughs> yeah, so like, it's like this, this movie. So you've got What's-His-Face is Christopher Columbus. You've got Marlon Brando, one one of the legends of cinema, playing Thomas de Torquemada. You've got Tom Selleck, one of the legends of the TV show Friends, <laughs> playing King Ferdinand of Spain. You've got Robert Darby uh, from uh, Die Hard and An American Carol. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, Benicio Del Toro. Benicio Del Toro in one of his, one of his earliest film roles. Yeah. I mean, after his first film yes. role in *License to Kill*, yeah. you got a license to kill. You got uh, you got like an incredibly young Catherine Zeta-Jones. She was like yep. twenty-two when she made this. Yeah, this is her pre-cancer vector work. Yeah. <laughs> But one playing Queen Isabella, uh, whose name is Rachel Ward, is not like in, like uh, you, you you look at her and like oh I've seen her and stuff yeah, before, yeah. but she's she's not like a she's not like a name. Well, I don't come away from this thinking less of Benicio del Toro. No, I like I think much less of him for doing Sicario two. Yeah, um, Sicario two, which is when you make the sequel to a film. And like, do you know what was the problem with Sicario? It's interesting moral dimension. <laughs> No one who looks at Sicario and goes like, "Yeah, you know what? This film needs less of Emily Blunt." Well, like the fucking craziest thing about about Sicario too is it was written by the person who wrote Sicario. Yeah, which like, like fucking t- 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 Taylor Sheridan wrote Sicario, Sicario two, and Hell or High Water. Yeah, I think he also directed Hell or High Water. I believe so. Yeah, and like. Like Sicario and Hell or High Water, both great movies mm-hmm. that, that I love. And then Sicario 2, which is in the middle there, is such a gigantic, like, like 
it seemed it is so ideologically opposed not only to Sicario but also to like to like what he's trying to do in Hell or High Water. Like it's, it's it's one of the one of the most confused movies I've ever seen. Yeah, um, and and now we'll just cross to a song uh, on the drive time. Uh, this is the title song uh, from Sicario. Sicario, 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 the, Sicario. The drug war is a complex issue. Sicario, Sicario, gray Sicario, That joke is funnier about if I do the song Victoria, but about a film. Sicario is not the right choice. The right choice is Suspiria. Which is a hunting him, hunting him. I cannot believe I'm. I can I tell you I want to like the year is two thousand and four. Uh, 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 I am cast as the lead uh, uh, in famous musical Thrupini Opera by old uh, misogynist and plagiarist, but also a defining figure and genius Bertolt Brecht. Now, I, 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 I just want to say, I think, I think you have told this story before. Oh, I have told this yeah, story. Yeah, so I've been told that you can't thing. sing. Yeah. yeah, So and that engendered in me. Yeah, I think that's on the first episode. <laughs> yeah, so, so that is, sorry, go back to that first episode. Uh, well, maybe don't. Anyway, um, developed in me a real fear of public singing mm. that, I, that, I, that I hold with me to this day yeah and the very fact that i'm doing it now shows like just how, how broken you've been by the movie oh no just how desperate my brain is to be like anything i'm just like i because okay so christopher columbus he's a fucking prank well, guy I, I, yeah. I think like it's 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 probably important to say like of the two movies that we watched today the first one a year of a rapper god is a movie that is like about existential despair <laughs> yeah. and then the second one that we watched is a movie that threw us both into existential despair um it very much feels like that in a way this is our best pairing mm. by far in a way um uh and it is the closest it's the only double bill I'd actually recommend with the caveat that um, you shouldn't. <laughs> but it's like, if you don't want to do a double bill, like those two, because it really feels like Agira is about all of the bad impulses that lead to Christopher yeah, Columbus. No, absolutely. I think, like, yeah, like, th- th- these two films are about, like, basically the same thing. And what one of them is made by someone who is deeply, like, cynical about, about colonialism and, uh, and, and, about its, and, and about its impacts. And one that, like, wants to do, like, nothing but, but like, lionize colonialism. Well, it tries, uh, like... Yeah, no, like, right at, like, right at the end, it, it tries for some sort of commentary. Yeah. But, but, like, then you get to, like, the very final shot of the movie... Which like like literally like like deifies Christopher Columbus, yeah, and l- literally l- he stands like he, he, he's sta- he stands on a cliff and yeah, yeah. He, he he fucking t poses on a cliff like a fucking TikTok teen. <laughs> Take that TikTok teens! Oh no, I don't want to start a beef with them. <laughs> Actually, yeah. No, that bully me. Oh man, they, 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 they bully you. I feel like okay. <clears throat> nah, I was gonna pretend to pitch a film about like TikTok teens ruining someone's life, 
but um, I like that idea too much to waste it on a podcast. Um, but anyway, uh, see, yeah, this is this film. If you go, if with the, if you put this information into your brain, uh, it's an attempted lionization, a completely fictional yeah. lionization um, of Christopher Columbus made in 1992 as an attempt to kind of revitalize or continue the trend of like swashbuckling action mm. that we'd had from like, oh, not Rocket Man, Man Rocket, what the fuck's that film called? It's a 1990 film directed by the guy who directed the first Captain America film, The Rocketeer. Oh, right, okay. Um, which is, it's fine. It's right. good. Like it's more sound than shy. Um, but if you have all that information where, where the leader's non-charismatic and they wasted all their money on fine boat models rather than, there are like three sword fights in this film and they are all... Bit barely. Barely. There's, there's well, well, I'm describing one merciless stabbing as yeah. a sword fight. Yeah. There's one like okay sword fight right at the beginning and then there's nothing for about two hours. Yeah. And then there's, yeah, there's like one like kind of knife fight scene at right at the very end. And yeah, now with all that information in your head, dear listener... I want you to imagine what the film is like, and it is exactly like that, with like a dull predictableness, but like a shapeless. It's like um, we like like you make too much porridge. You're like, this is never going to end, and I want to die. <laughs> Like, That's not like porridge. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, there are so many points where in this film where they do like things that are like that are in Aguirre. But yeah. like, so like, there's, there's a long stretch of this film where there's like no wind and the, the boat's just like stuck in the in the middle of the sea and people on board are getting like anxious and then fighting starts and like that, that is most of the middle of of Aguirre. Yeah. It's like people being stuck on like a raft in the middle of the Amazon River and unable to leave and they're, they're just drifting aimlessly. We have no control of what's happening and they start to become like suspicious of each other and violent and like. There is, there is, there is no stakes. There is no tension in any part of these scenes in in Christopher Columbus. There's no, there's no tension in in any part of the movie. It, it, and like, it feels for a film, it, it, even like a, the, the part where like where, where like the main character is brought before like the Spanish Inquisition yeah. and is being threatened with torture. There is nothing there. It, it it's literally a film about a man going against the church, embodied by Marlon Brando. Yeah. To, uh, to, to, to to go on like one of the like most difficult like yep. voyages that anyone's ever gone on. Yeah, which to be clear, we know Christopher Columbus himself did not actually do. This is within the fiction. And yet it it feels to discover a new world and yeah. bring back hope and gold and shit. Like all, all, shit. All, all, all of this should be like at the very least like like uh, watchable, but like yeah, like ho- you'd hope for like tension and yeah. like thrills and excitement. Well did and there's just because John Glenn's Bond films are like three clear swings and misses, which are his Roger Moore mm. films, um, and two like the the Dalton Bonds, which are the best Bond film, and License to Kill, which is possibly the other good Bond <laughs> film, you know, or maybe the worst one. Um, 
But what they all have is a consistent sense of escalation yeah. uh, and action and fun. And there's always a, 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 a gag, a beat, or a trick. And also, in, in some of the license to kill, there, there was like a real like darkness to that to that movie. Yeah, which like there there, there is not like in this movie there is a scene where like a son kills his father, and like it's. it's hmm. Well, if there is... Everything is just weightless in this movie. If I was... Okay, so John Glenn... Okay, so I've got a caller on the line here. Hi, my name's... Uh, I don't know. Uh, table chair. Um, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know anything about this conversation. I'm happy to be a lab rat for an experiment. Okay, cool. Thanks. Um, so, John Glenn has directed directed two films uh, within three years of each other. One is a dark unpacking of what happens when a, a historically lionized heroic figure uh, goes to the Americas and uh, uh, goes off the rails against the people he works for um, out of a personal and somewhat petty sense of revenge mm. that reveals a darkness at his heart and at the heart of his whole um, scenario, uh, uh, his, his whole makeup in a way. Uh, and the other is a uh, languid adventure with some vistas in it um, where there are like sexy women and there's some, you know, top listener. <laughs> I don't know why I focused on the top. No, I, I know why I focused on the top listener. So yeah. you're still listening. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, um, which of those two films do you think is the Christopher Columbus film? And which do you think is the James Bond film? Um, well, I think it's table chair, I think. Uh, oh, he's hung up on us because I, I made my point. This is the thing I keep wanting to say is like in a way that like we have seen worse films than this by yep. far. But this is the first one that it really feels like it's ruined my day. <laughs> Oh, I, I don't know. I, I think you might be forgetting how. Uh, I think you might be forgetting how you felt after seeing Crash. <laughs> that is true. Um, oh, like after that, I felt fired up. Like I could go yeah, and make yeah. some art. In this, it's genuinely going to be diff like I am late on a number of <laughs> deadlines, which is causing me real anxiety mm. right now. And like I have the skill, I need to go right now. Like when you leave, I need to go right. I'm not going to be able to do that because I'm just going to be dwelling in the muck. Of Christopher Columbus, the discovery, CCTD. There's like an, an, another uh, parallel between between the two movies. Uh, in in both movies, there are scenes where the, the like European characters uh, interact with, with native characters. Yeah. All the scenes in both movies, the the women are topless all the time. And in Aguirre, yeah. in, in Aguirre, it it is not focused on, and it's just a thing like you know these people I, do, these people like don't yeah. think shirts are that important. I I and, had not made yeah to the point where like, I had not made this connection or thought. Until yeah, and it's just it. like it yeah. feels it's just in the movie it feels natural it feels totally non exploitative. Yeah. But in 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 fucking Christopher Columbus the discovery the, for, for the last half hour of a the movie there's there one there's one specific Native American woman. Uh, who's played by an actress uh, whose name is Thailand Agoyo. And uh, she, like, for the last half hour of the movie, anytime her naked breasts are not directly in the center of a frame, like, oh, that was a tasteful choice, John Glenn. Uh, and that combined with the, the IMDb trivia, which says that it is alleged that due to financial issues, cast and crew were not paid for their work on this film, Yeah, genuinely makes this film um, morally suspect. Because... 
like she's she has gone on to do where we we talked a lot through this film about hoping that this woman this poor woman that was just turned into just just an object within an object in this fucking already boring dog shit film about hoping she's okay she's done other she's i hope she's had a happy full life but the very idea that that she was that she did this and then wasn't even paid for it and where it's such an exploitation yeah um is um yeah i think it's on a like that's like when they killed them fucking turtles or like, I don't know, you know, no, not that. But, and I just, and that is part of like, I can't, I just cannot deal. So the first like act of the film is, is Chris, Christopher Columbus pranking about, uh, trying try and trying to like convince uh, Queen Isabella to give him money. I mean, trying to yeah. you know uh, not get uh, murdered by the Spanish Inquisition, and it doesn't matter what's happening. There's like a seven year time dash, just like out of nowhere, where suddenly he's got two kids with Catherine Zeta Jones. And uh, the way we know this is that kids suddenly appear. Yeah, and he's um, got stubble now. He's got stubble. Catherine Zeta Jones, who was 22 when she was in this, but. If you told me she was 15 in this film, I would believe you. Yeah. yeah. No, you're not like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, 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 has not aged at all in a way. Like, she was also 17 years younger than, than the man she was playing opposite. I mean, I, it's not it's not unexpected. But, like, she, she's very distinctly, when you first meet her character, she is at an age where you're not going to look like that for seven years, if, if that makes sense. And so then we cut to, like, oh, I'm here with my kids. And we were, we both are, we were like, so are those his kids from another relationship? Yeah. Or he had one kid from a previous relationship who was like six at the beginning of a film. That kid's now like 12 and he's got two other ones that just yeah. appeared literally out of nowhere in the space of a cut. And it is like elliptical time dashes in film is one of my favorite techniques. And so, yeah, Smith's first half, then he gets his fucking boat and he recruits people and he recruits Benicio Del Toro and Robert Davi, who, because they are brown, are transparently going to be the villains. Oh, no, Robert Davi's sort of a good guy, isn't he? Uh, he he's, he's... No, then he, then he turns against them and tries to take them. No, no, that's, that's, that's not Robert Davi. Robert Davi's on his side the whole time. Benicio turn, turns bad. Yeah, no, Benicio turns bad back in America Yeah, on the boat. Robert Davi turns evil, doesn't he? No, no, it's Robert, Robert Davi's on the other boat. He's, he's captaining the other boat. Oh, yeah. Oh, I thought he was running away. I just... I do not... No, all, all, all of the characters in this movie are so interchangeable, and there is so little that defines it that, like, you cannot remember who is playing who. Like, well, I, 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 don't, I don't know the names of any of the characters apart from, like, Queen Isabella and King Ferdinand and Christopher Columbus. Well, and, and like, Robert Davies' character, even if he is not explicitly framed as villainous, is untrustworthy. Throughout, like he is, he exists as a red herring. They're constantly arguing. He's, oh my god, okay. So how he convinces? So you're working on a big budget film, yeah, uh, uh, about Christopher Columbus. Obviously, you've got to get a scene where he describes why he wants to do oh this. Oh god, the scene. Um, so how do you start the scene? He enters a, a drinking hall with fists full of eggs. And yeah. he says, try and make it stand up. And you just... Yeah, so he's going to, like... Because, um, like, no one wants to come on this voyage with him. So he's going to, like, find a bunch of sailors and convince them uh, that, like, he's, like, a smart guy that they should all go on a boat with. And um, so he gives them these raw eggs. 
um, and says, I want you to make these stand up on end. And they'll try and they fail. Because eggs are round. Cause they, yeah, because they don't do that unless you boil or water. I don't know, who gives a fucking shit? <laughs> um, unless you put it in an egg cup. And what he does is that he uses a little force to place it down so the bottom of the egg cracks to yeah. hold it. Like, and this is genuinely on the, and they're like, whoa, how can you do that? This fucking crazy book. It, it is, yeah. Do you remember the activity books? One of them was like, you, you, you never said that we could crack the egg. And he's like, oh, I never said you couldn't crack the egg. And it, it's uh-huh. genuinely, do you remember those narrative, half narrative, half puzzle book things, which are about like spies and on each page you had to be like, oh, how do we know that the water is okay to drink? Or um, how many pigeons are in this photo? or like will he commit a war crime and then you have to turn to the back page and turn it upside down like that is what is happening and then he's like okay so let me demonstrate um the the makeup of the world and then he speaks for what seems to be between two and 40 minutes Mm. while holding a watermelon and just cutting chunks out of it in a way that like I understand the globe and distance and degrees. And he just keeps saying things. And then by the end of it, with the audience none the wiser, everyone has agreed. Um and but Robert Darby is like, oh okay, I'll I'll come along. But reluctantly. Yeah, no, I think like he's supposed to, like he's definitely if not villainous, he's supposed to be quote unquote shifty. Mm, maybe. Let's be, I'm I'm talking about the character played by. Yeah, Robert no, no, I, I I know. I, I'm, no, no. I'm not I'm not sure I, I fully agree with you taking on the character or how, how the character is supposed to be seen. I just don't care enough. <laughs> like you're probably right, but okay. And then they're on a boat for an hour. Yeah, and nothing nothing happens on the boat. How- a couple of people die. Uh, there's one character who, who keeps on trying to uh, rape a teenage boy on the boat, and then he eventually gets thrown overboard. And oh, yeah. by sharks. Uh, uh, oh, and- there's two of, two of the, the least interesting uh, shark attacks ever in this movie. Um, yeah. It's like you, USS Indianapolis Men of Courage level shark attacks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Precise. Look, it must be on YouTube, those shark attacks. Who gives a shit? Um, So uh, USS Indianapolis, do not watch uh, Christopher Columbus, The Discovery. Um, There's also a guy who's like, we can't go. I'm going to cut down the sails. And what you get in this $45 million budget film is a guy at the top of a ladder. It's rigging. It's not not a ladder. Uh, um, I mean, rope ladder. Yeah. Just limping, limply flailing a knife and doing nothing. Yeah, and he might be like, "Oh, what's he doing?" And you're like, "This just like you could you put those sails up. You could take one down. Like have you? This is completely fictional. Christopher Columbus uh, is." If you give the real Christopher Columbus a generous interpretation, he is merely a war criminal, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, and is certainly worse. I'm going to say war criminal again because I feel like I'm muffled. You know, no, no, because you 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 call him a warm criminal, <laughs> like like the Batman villain Firebug. Was <laughs> um, it Firefly? Fuck, I can't remember. Um, oh. Oh, Edward, good to have you back. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just wanted to call and say, yeah, uh, his name's Firefly. He's a good friend of uh, mine. And, oh, really? Um, I'll often set him riddles where the answer is Firefly, just as a way to be like, oh, 
That's nice. Hi, it'll be like they're, they're most about like the, the the like Groucho Marx character Rufus T. Firefly. Oh yeah, and uh, uh, it'll be things like uh, this is the surname of one of Groucho Marx's surnames, like what is on fire and also a fly. Um, the best song by Owl City. Yeah. <laughs> um, what show by Joss Whedon has the most inconsistent level of talent amongst its cast? Dollhouse. No. No, like, Eliza Dushku is just miscast. She's not bad. Oh, no, I, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with, with Eliza Dushku. Oh, so. you, you just hate Harry Lennox. I, you know who I hate? I, I hate, oh, I can't remember his name. Fucking, uh, uh, Fran, uh, Fran, last Fran Katz? It's something like that. Or Cran Friends? Yeah, it's, Fra- just Fra- 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 it's just fucking Xander Fran- too. I think it's Fran Kranz. His name is Xander too. Look, he he was in Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, he's good in that. <sighs> so Cabin in the Woods, a film I enjoy, yeah. is absolutely the Radiohead of horror films. It is the it is the horror film for people who don't like horror films. And so every time you're like, oh yeah, Cabin in the Woods, I'm like, I just respect you, like. Like a zero point zero 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 one percent less. That was absolutely movie, like got me into horror movies when I was like fifteen. When I saw uh, Joss Whedon's Much Ado About Nothing, all right, which is it's a nothing film, and I just remember that during that period of time, fandom on the internet in response to that was all like all over fucking Shakespeare. And as I was an intolerable theatre kid, as I was walking out of that film, I turned to one of my friends and I said. If that's the film that gets people into Shakespeare, we shouldn't have Shakespeare. <laughs> it's like if you ate a Twinkie and were like, I am going to be a dessert chef. Or like, head butted the ground and said, great. Now I can make Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> or um, if you just got a knitting needle and just stuck it so far up your nose, it scrambled your brain, and you could be like, Yep, great. Ready to be the star of Christopher Columbus the Discovery. <laughs> oh, okay. I don't mean that. I don't think he's going to scramble. No. The, Just wanted to bring us back on topic so yeah, we can end this. That is fair. <laughs> so, yeah, eventually after a bunch of bullshit happens at sea, they, they, they get to the oh, Americas. Do you want to know how we know Benicio Del Toro is a villain apart from the fact that he's brown in a white film? No. Uh, it's because it's established pretty in the end of the first act. Mm. Uh, the, he, he's a rapist and murderer. Yeah. Um, when, when he like shows up to like, get, get, on, get on the boat, he's like standing up there and Catherine Zeta-Jones is da- down on, on the ground. She's talking with Christopher Columbus and she says, oh, is he back? Uh, he, he he raped my sister and she committed suicide. I just think that is an incredibly cool, smart, and wise piece of characterization. Yeah, I, 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 I think we need talk. more of that in movies. Well, women... Uh, no. No. I just feel... S- <laughs> I feel so bad. I feel so bad that they're all like... They're indigenous people. In this film, yeah, I mean, the passing of are like said in El Salvador, yeah. and all the indigenous people are played uh, played by um, uh, played by Native Americans, not people native to, to to that area. Yeah, it's, it's still like good. Like all those people are actually played by like indigenous peoples. But the wrong, and yeah, yeah. It's like how, but um, but, 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 but but like the, the the idea of like oh, Chris, like when people think Christopher Columbus, like like discovered like 
the Americas, they think of America rather yeah, than yeah. like South America. Yeah, of and course. And so I think like, but that's just, one... just like just like in the movie Control about Joy Division. Yeah. when they go on when when they go on that TV show and and and, and play Transmission, that's not actually the song they played on on that show. They yeah. played Transmission on a different show. That television appearance is famous, and like them forms of them playing Transmission is famous. So they like put the two events together. It's exactly like that. That's the same level of historical liberty that, that this film takes. Yeah. I'm just, all I'm thinking about now is how much I'd like a swashbuckling Ian Curtis biopic. Yeah. Where it's like, nice. um, and it turns out like he faked his death so he could become like a gun runner or something, you know? Mm. He he's he's someone that uh, 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 he's someone that Brendan likes to tell me, Brendan Lovegrove likes to tell me what I look like when Brendan's drunk. He's like, you know, if you, you look like Ian Curtis, man, it's cool. Ian no offense, but you don't look yeah, like Ian Curtis. Uh, I, I also used to get Daniel Radcliffe a lot from 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 Drunk Woman, which is also I, I would I'd love to look like Daniel Radcliffe. Don't look like Daniel Radcliffe. I mean, my biggest problem, I look more like Daniel Radcliffe than you, but that's just because I have two guns nailed to my hand, <laughs> to my hands. Um, now, like, how 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 would you describe the position in which you're holding those guns? Uh, is is like, have you got a lot of control over those guns, or are they akimbo? I would say that they are. Yeah, like I think it's easier. I don't want to use terms like guns akimbo. So let's just pretend that it's like. I look like Daniel Radcliffe if he was in a film that hypothetically was just. No, I don't even like. I cannot believe that Chris. I, I've got a lot of thoughts about Guns Akimbo, and I don't want to share them. I just it, it, ha, like it's it's kind of just wanted. <laughs> it's like, and the best bit is the bit where I'm like, oh, that's around. Right. Yeah, I know, I know yeah, where well, that is. I've always that intersection. And, and of course, no, like the best part is an Aucklander of watching Guns Akimbo is that, ooh, twenty to thirty percent of it seems to take place within 50 metres of one building right, just yeah. off K Road. Um, so I know that car park. Oh, back in that car park. Oh, they're in the alley by the car park. Oh, up the road. Oh, look, it's Reese Darby. Uh, 10 seconds walk. Oh, it's the old Green Party headquarters. It's, anyway. <laughs> yeah, no, I just don't know why you would. Guns Akimbo. No, oh, I'm yeah, gonna. So what we're saying is that it's not your favorite Samara Weaving movie of the year. Uh, so we've just had a very good idea that we cut out of the podcast. Ha 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 ha. Uh, uh-huh. Um, but <laughs> and it is oh man, just those two, both Bills and Ted's. Oh. But anyway, yeah. we, we were talking um about Americans confusing, not really caring about the precise location where Indigenous people yes. live. Luckily, for the one and only time uh, in America's uh, history, do, does an American state consider itself a universal representation of the whole of the Americas? Lucky that they nipped that in the bud and has not led to what I would call a calamitous state of perpetual anxiety for eight billion people across the world just because in the wake of World War II, a bunch of fucking gum-chewing motherfuckers thought, do you know what would be great if we just culturally, non-consensually dominate an entire world and then set it up so that we can be a sequence of con men? <laughs> 
ruining. I just like. Here's the thing. That's right and sound, everyone. <laughs> here's the thing about Donald Trump. So here's like because Agira could be like the Trump administration, right? Like, sure. a, like, like that, that's a good reading of it. And like, Aguirre is like how the Trump administration sees itself. Uh, 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 no, Aguirre is how is the Trump administration yes. is. Uh, 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 and Christopher Columbus, the discovery being like kind of how they see themselves. Um, but in both cases, they don't get the point that it's like, I should be allowed as a human who has no connection to that continent yeah to not have to fucking worry about the end of the whole world so what i'm saying is is that i think that christopher columbus the discovery is shite yeah i've got another call here hey guys uh it's me hey how's it going uh you know you know me you don't you don't need to know my dad it's my old friend thomas harris author of the <laughs> hannibal series um, hi, Red just, Dragon, the other ones. I just wanted to call and say that... You working on anything new right now, Thomas? Oh, I'm working on another Hannibal book. Oh, uh, great, great to hear. Is it a prequel to Hannibal Rising? It's a sequel to Hannibal Rising. Um, it's called Hannibal Dawn. Uh, I want a Hannibal movie where it's a 12-year-old Hannibal with no cannibalism. <laughs> okay. Just, just... You know I don't make the film. <sighs> <laughs> Got you. This is oh, this is ruining I'm, my day. I was just calling to tell. I'm, you know, I'm an avid listener to the show. Yeah, no, of course. Um, I've based many of my characters off the two of you. Uh, you know, I, I of course the inspiration for Clarice Starling. Uh, and and uh, <laughs> you can barely hear my voice without thinking of old uh, Will Graham and no, the of course, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and I just I just wanted to call him in my capacity. Uh, as an international best-selling author. And, and, and also the head of the Sound fan club. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I think, an evolution denier. Ooh, I or hope something, not. Something, something like that. That seems like something I would do. I just wanted to, to tell you both that it's okay to just stop talking about Christopher Columbus and Discovery. Listen, if you're driving, like, if you can hear this and you've ever driven south on State Highway 1, I want you to know that you have no place in the Shite and Sound fandom. Yeah, and if you are currently driving south on State Highway 1, I want you to make a drastic lane change. <laughs> I, want, I want you to try and ramp over the concrete barrier and do a, do a mid-ear U-turn and drive back north where you fucking belong. <laughs> 
It's very important. Don't try to leave Auckland. This is where you're stuck now. I don't know why, but I feel it feels very important to me to emphasize that we are joking about that. <laughs> <laughs> I just... I just no, no, I'm being completely serious when I tell you to, to, to drive over the concrete barrier in the middle of a state highway. Okay, cool. Um... Anyway, uh, so our theme song is The Nux by Cassandra oh, Lamb. Um, I, I didn't say, but uh, <laughs> I think the Christopher Columbus of a Discovery is shite. Uh oh, thank fuck. Yeah, just wanted, to, just wanted to clarify. I, yeah. It, and yeah no, we, took, we have. Here is my main struggle is that I think we have just given it much more um, time and thought than it deserves at all. Yeah. No, as soon as you stop listening to this episode. Uh, you should never think about the film Christopher Columbus of a Discovery ever again. Yeah, and um, except like ju- just remember the fact that this fucking movie ends with Christopher Columbus standing on a cliff doing a fucking crucifix pose, uh, and like there's yeah. this giant like I don't know if it's a crane or a helicopter. But there's this giant like let's call it a crane shot. There's yeah. a giant crane shot, but just like but just like pulls out and like kind of and kind of like like spins around him as as like getting higher and higher as he's standing on the edge of his like white chalk cliff it's dumb it's one of it's yep. one of it's one of the most misjudged endings to a film we've ever seen and yeah. like and like i'm just speaking as someone who last week <laughs> who fucking last week watched over her dead body <laughs> a, a film that ends with like with the villain getting away scot-free being rewarded and the character who like has made like a major like who's undergone like a major change from him to become a better person being punished with an eternity of loneliness and torment. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I think over her dead body makes a lot more sense. Like cosmologically, <laughs> If the god of that world is the Christopher Columbus <laughs> yeah. from Christopher Columbus of the Discovery. Anyway, uh, our theme song is The Nux by Kazam Blam. You, you can find us on uh, you can find us on Twitter at ShiteSoundPod, and you can email us at uh, uh, ShiteSoundPod at gmail.com. Uh, I'm 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 Youth Lives. Uh, check us out. Um, probably by the time you're listening to this, uh, very soon uh, at Bats Theatre. Uh, there'll be a new season of live performance of The Witching Hours, mate. Yeah. Radio drama it, thing. It's, uh, it's going to be very exciting. I, I look forward to hearing all of them. Mm-hmm. Have you listened to any up in, uh, that I've put up? Oh, I'm not saving them. Oh, okay, good. I, ju- I just wanted your opinions. Uh, is there anything? Oh, go check out shitesound.com. Um, and all that is left to do is our final catchphrase. Uh, movies are good. Uh, go watch them. Uh, Maybe give Christopher Columbus a discovery of this. I, I just, yeah, like, fuck you, Christopher Columbus. <laughs> like, both in the film and in real, the real world. Yeah. Welcome to Shite and Sound. Uh, my name is Yutha Shite, and with me is Finn Sound Nicholas. Um, okay, so so you, you so like well, my one like Sound was just like it was it was like a middle name, yeah. but it's like maybe like in brackets, in, in, in like quotes, quotation yeah, yeah. marks. But, but, but Shite is just your last name. 
Why are you surprised at this? I mean, look, no, to be fair, I, I, I have known you for years. <laughs> yeah, it's always been my surname. It's why we named the podcast Shine Sound. So I'd like to welcome you all to the Shine Sound podcast. It's a morning zoo. Uh, we, where we, uh, we do uh, pranks. Yeah. Remember uh, yesterday when we uh, called... Um, a elderly woman and pretended to be her deceased <laughs> son and because uh, she's suffering from dementia she believed us and um, you know, she I'll, told us all her bank information <laughs> yeah. I mean, how, how, how could I possibly forget it I, I masturbated myself to sleep last night remembering how great that prank was <laughs> 